At Emory University's Goizueta Business School, we believe in going beyond what is to build what should be. Because when you change your perspective, you can change business for the better. In an ever-changing marketplace, we seek to make our mark, to achieve more, build more, do more, create more. That's the Goizueta Effect. I'm your host, Gretchen Wright. Today we'll be discussing the concept of conscious capitalism with Goizueta Business School Dean Erica James. She became Dean of the Business School in 2014 and over her tenure has been expanding course offerings and student experiences that explore and teach conscious capitalism. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> what does conscious capitalism mean? Conscious capitalism is a term that has gained more traction. It's not a made-up well, it is made up construct, but it is something uh, that is intentionally used to describe companies and organizations who have uh, an approach to how they do business in a way that uh, is designed to positively influence not only the key stakeholders of their organizations, but a community of people who are engaged with the work that they do. I think of conscious capitalist organizations as those who have uh, a real purpose behind the work that they do that is not just about providing the uh, core product or services that their organization delivers, but really using and leveraging the skill set and expertise within their organizations to have a broader, more positive impact on society at large. What are either some examples of ways that companies behave in a way that's conscious or examples of companies that actually do that kind of thing or both? I'll first start with examples of things that organizations are doing to demonstrate conscious capitalism. And this actually can harken back a couple of decades when there was really intentional focus on looking at diversity and uh, equity and inclusion and belonging uh, in organizations. That is a manifestation of conscious capitalism, wanting to ensure that all contributors within the organization are are positioned to add value at the maximum level, which means leveraging the gifts that come from people of all backgrounds. So that would be an example of, of an intentional approach to conscious capitalism. Uh, more recently, organizations who are focused on understanding the impact that their core service has on the environment. So measures around sustainability would be another example of conscious capitalism. There are a number of organizations that we're quite familiar with who uh, can be readily identified with with this approach. Early, so probably 30 years ago now, Ben and Jerry's was one of the first organizations where the founders were quite intentional about creating an ice cream company that was more than just about selling ice cream. Maybe 10, 15 years after that, Tom's Shoes became another startup organization that said, we want to have a mission beyond just uh, uh, manufacturing and, and, and selling shoes, but we want to sell shoes with a purpose. And that purpose would be to, for every shoe sold, we are going to give a pair of shoes to uh, an, a community or a country for whom shoes is, are, are more scarce. The So those would be examples of startup organizations who, who created their organization with the purpose of being conscious in that regard. More longer-standing companies like the Coca-Colas of the world who, before this notion was even a thing, uh, 
were wanting to be quite intentional about the impact that they were having on society. So I'll use Coke as one example. Coca-Cola has a mission around women and water right now. So that means uh, how can they sustain their uh, the environment despite the fact that so much of their product comes from water. What do they need to do differently uh, with respect to how they source water, with respect to the chemicals that are used in, in the water, with respect to the impact that, that the utilization of water is having on communities from which that water is being taken, etc. Although we tend to associate conscious capitalism with newer startup companies. Let me add Whole Foods in there. The Whole Foods founder is, in fact, um, also one of the founders of the conscious capitalism movement. Um, so there are the startup organizations, but then there are also longer-serving, longer-standing organizations who have grown into a mission around being conscious with the, with the way in which they do business. You, you did address this a little bit, but how has the concept evolved and taken hold over time? You mentioned that you know the Coca-Cola company now does do this kind of thing and probably has for a little while, but it's more it's newer companies that seem to have taken a very strong, clear position. Like yes. We are going to be conscious capitalists. So what's that evolution look like? It has been slow and I think has not received the level of attention earlier in the movement as it is currently receiving. I think part of what we're seeing now is a twofold. One, a push by increasing generations of younger people who are passionate about being part of organizations that have a meaningful purpose beyond just business and profits. Uh, so the more that those generations get into higher education, the more that they get into the workforce, the more they are articulating pretty forcefully the expectations they have of the organizations that they'll be working for. So I think that's part of the movement. The other part is I think senior leaders in some of these well-established companies are recognizing the challenge of sustaining the way they have done business because of the impact that it might be having on the environment and other things that are are so pertinent to our having a, a a good quality of life. I think most people are familiar with the Business Roundtable's communication uh, about six months ago that we want to be much more intentional and progressive with how we think about operating our businesses, but that's not the first time that the Business Roundtable has put out such a message. But I think it will stick this time because not only are they now communicating it as the leaders of these, these organizations, but so many more people within the organization and the talent that they need are demanding that organizations pursue this. Speaking of the business roundtable, what different, in addition to the sort of the, the codification of the concept and, you know, this, this August group speaking out and saying, this is what we're going to do and this is what we're calling on our peers to do, what is the impact of the business roundtable or what have you seen as, as a result of the business roundtable issuing that statement? My sense is that that elite group of companies and leaders uh, are speaking for a much larger population. And the forceful way in which they have been communicating their desire, I think, is taking hold uh, and will likely stick because, again, there's this broader movement supporting what the business leaders are, are communicating now. There will be a level of longevity. Uh, I think there are now political matters that are also 
contributing to why this work will continue to be important. I think there are social matters contributing to why it will be important. And increasingly, I think we're getting closer to the point where we can justify um, the resource spend to do this kind of work or to do work differently to meet the tenets of conscious capitalism uh, because we will start to see positive financial gain by by investing and, and doing work in this manner. Um, so you're at a business school and have yes. been for a while mm-hmm. and hopefully will will continue to stay in business education. Um, how is this concept that's taught to students? How do you present conscious capitalism, the concept? You know, what, what do they need to know and understand to embrace it, be able to keep doing it? Great question. And this is one of those moments in history where I think you know, we talked about the flipped classroom. I think we talked about a flipped educational paradigm because in this case, it's almost less about the faculty teaching to the students or imparting this knowledge or wisdom to students. And I think it's more the students are imparting knowledge and wisdom to the faculty, which then therefore requires that faculty think and operate differently in terms of what and how they deliver their education. So students are coming into business schools now with a clear preference and expectation that they will learn about business and industry in a manner that is consistent with what matters to them. Obviously, the fundamental areas of finance and accounting and marketing and leadership and information systems and operations, that will continue. But to overlay on top of that how to think about each of those fundamental business domains in a way that takes into consideration a much more uh, conscious approach to how business is done. So I think it's our students who are creating opportunities for our faculty to get more creative with how and what they're delivering in the classrooms. And I know that there are some things here at Goizueta. There's um, social enterprise. Um, they do work with um, what's what's called Start Me, which is around building local entrepreneurs. Um, there's the um, Grounds for Empowerment mm-hmm. um, project. Are those kinds of uh, well, one is experiential, one is much more involving local community. But are are those the kinds of things that you've seen happening around the country, or are they are they unique? To, uh, to Goizueta? I think both. I think increasingly we're seeing more institutions of higher education trying to create opportunities to get their students grounded in real-world issues, in real-world challenges, uh, in opportunities for engaging in the community in ways that they had not historically. Um, so in that respect, we're not new. But in the respect of what it is that we're doing to create those opportunities for students, I do think are unique to the faculty expertise that are at the Goizueta Business School. I do think it's uh, unique to the environment we are in, which is uh, a large metropolitan city in the south with tremendous industry, but also uh, tremendous economic disparity. So I think that what we're trying to do is take advantage of the environment that we're in to find really impactful ways to engage our students in uh, the kind of work that would be characterized as conscious capitalist work within higher education. And how does conscious capitalism uh, intersect with what has become known around campus, or at least within the business school, as the Goizueta effect? Love that question. So the Goizueta effect is really a play on words to pay homage to 
our founder, Mr. Roberto C. Guizueta, who was a longtime CEO and chairman for the Coca-Cola Company, who was known largely because of the tremendous shareholder wealth he created during his tenure as CEO. But what people, I think, are less familiar with are all of the additional ways in which he led both the company and also was influential within the city of Atlanta. And that was because he had a set of personal values, principles, and guidelines that dictated how he chose to lead the Coca-Cola company. That meant that he was giving back or, or leveraging the company in ways to give back to the community and city of Atlanta. Uh, in really powerful ways. So we take great pride to be a part of his legacy through the work that we do. And we, so we refer to our work around uh, conscious capitalism as it is deployed at the business school, part of the Goizueta effect. To some extent, there's always been something like conscious capitalism with businesses giving back to the community. But do you think it's taking hold more than ever in part because you don't have as many small local places where people are eating at and shopping in and visiting local businesses where they know the owner personally mm. and the owner is tied to the community. Do you think there's any sense that sort of as, as there are more and more companies that are everywhere, mm -hmm. there needs to still be that connection to a consumer to feel like, I know who these people are, I know mm -hmm. what they're doing, and I believe in them? Yes, I, I do. Uh, we've seen a shift to the sort of big box retail stores, and, and they can be convenient in a way, um, maybe allow for greater efficiency for the consumer, but there is something that gets lost when every city looks the same because you have the same restaurant chains, you have the same big box uh, uh, stores. So what I, I think we're seeing in this movement is a um, a regression back to a time when community mattered, where face-to-face -face interaction mattered, where interpersonal relationships mattered, because there's a level of trust there. Uh, and, and so I think the two, it's not an either-or. I think both circumstances can coexist. And I think what we're starting to see is a world evolve where the acceleration of small or micro entrepreneurs are creating real value in community that also coexists with the big chain and uh, big box stores. There are more and more, I think, young entrepreneurs coming out and saying, I want to be known, have a company that is known for giving back to the community, helping people, being sustainable. Um, do you think this concept of socially aware business has more traction with millennials than it does with older people? Or do you think it's the same? Is it? Do they see it differently? It's hard to know. I spend so much time around young people. It feels as if the traction there is pretty all-encompassing. Uh, but I don't want to give an impression that these issues don't also matter to people of my generation or people who are you know, even older and more seasoned than I am. But I think it looks different for each of the generations. And because, you know, people who are my parents' age grew up at a time where scarcity 
was meant something very different than what scarcity means now. Their approach to some of the ideas around conscious capitalism fundamentally might be the same, but they either experience it differently or talk about it differently than what we're seeing with, with younger generations. A portion of the $30 million gift that the school received from the Goizueta Foundation is earmarked for a business and society institute that is named for Roberto C. Goizueta. What are some of the ways that that funding is going to be used to teach this concept of conscious capitalism? Mm -hmm. So one of the things that we're very excited about from as an opportunity from this gift is to fundamentally think differently about how we deliver education. For, you know, a decade plus now, we've seen more and more schools and universities move towards online education, and that is an important piece of the forward way of thinking about delivery. Um, but I believe that there's something more than just recording classes and putting them online. And what the Goizueta Foundation gift will allow us to do is experiment and play and, and, and try new things that will allow us to take something that we've done very well for quite some time, which is experiential learning or immersive learning, how would we combine immersive learning experiences with technology in ways that we hadn't considered before? Uh, it might mean getting faculty outside of the classroom and in the environments in which work actually happens to expose uh, students to collective problem solving and, and real world challenges by seeing the challenge on the ground and exploring ways of problem solving that are not just about book learning and case studies, but really interacting with the people in the communities for whom the problem is real. Um, and then how do you overlay potential forms of alternative machine learning, technology, uh, alternate forms of intelligence on top of those kinds of learning experiences? I don't know what that world looks like, but we now have given um, have been given the license and the resources to be able to explore what that can be. It's going to be exciting. It is. <laughs> and different. With, with every um, new concept that comes out or even every concept that is just resuscitated, there are always naysayers. So to people who would say, you know, oh, this conscious capitalism thing, this is just a trend, it's the latest thing in business, it's not going to last, how do you respond to that? You know, there have been trends in the past, so it's a fair potential criticism. But I would also say that the world is very different now, and the resources that we have, the way in which we have become so much more intertwined around the globe, we fundamentally have to think about how we do business differently. So conscious capitalism 10 or 20 years from now may look different from how it does today, but the underlying assumption associated with conscious capitalism, which is having a purpose beyond just profit, uh, I think will continue for quite some time. You alluded to this, but how do you have any notion of how this might play out in the future? How conscious capitalism might become something that is more fully ingrained in business all the time, everywhere? Yeah. So the thing that I think companies are starting to move towards is a, a greater understanding of how 
what we have traditionally referred to as corporate social responsibility activities. How do we move those activities from being tangential to the core of the business to being seamlessly integrated into the business? And this is actually where scholarship from from business school faculty can play a role, understanding how to measure some of the activities and, and work that are going on in companies, um, and and how to align their core processes with the aspects of conscious capitalism, which up to now have largely been seen as important but peripheral to the core. And I think what we're going to see happening is more and more intersectionality of the conscious capitalism efforts with the core efforts of of the business. So you won't just have an office of corporate responsibility over here. Right. <laughs> yes. It will be much more integrated into the real work of the business. Is there anything you would like to add? <laughs> I think the Goizueta Business School is really well positioned to be a leader in some of this work. The faculty that we have who for a decade plus have been committed and invested and laying the groundwork for some of the curriculum that we're now able to offer and some of the research and scholarship that we're seeing coming from the faculty, um, I think puts us ahead of many of our competitors in this regard. And now that we have this additional financial support from the Guizueta Foundation gift, I think we'll see uh, ramping up and manifestation of this work in really powerful and important ways. So it's exciting. Thank you very much. Thank you. For more information about the Guizueta Effect podcast, please visit emory.biz slash podcast.